Today's scripture reading is going to be in Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. Uh, you can open with, in your Bibles with me now, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, once you find it, will you guys stand as we read the word of God? And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Again, good morning. Good morning. Well, if you're new with us, again, want to welcome you, especially this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are uh, making our way through the book of Acts. We're going to finish uh, Acts chapter 15 this morning. And uh, sometimes, like last week, we take big uh, sections of Scripture. Other times we take uh, small ones like we uh, will take this morning because I think this particular section uh, is is just very interesting uh, for the uh, climate that we find ourselves in. And I I mentioned last week that we're dealing on the topic of uh, conflict, right? Last week was part one as we uh, talked about the Jerusalem Council, which I'll highlight again. Uh, But again, we get into conflict here Uh, between Paul and Barnabas. And so I'm praying that today is just deeply practical, (laughs) deeply convicting as it has been for me on how we as Christians um, handle conflict. Because let's be honest, uh, we haven't necessarily always been the shining example of how we handle conflict, right? Within the church, as Christ followers, as disciples. But last week was a win, right? You remember if you were here in Acts chapter 15, Jerusalem Council, right? Like they, they, they had this uh, debate and they, they talked through these things. It was on a theological nature of are, are we saved by grace through faith alone? And, and uh, the, the, the party, the, the saved Jews of the day, if you will, the, this uh, party of the circumcision, they wanted to add to Gentiles that they must be circumcised. So uh, they, they said, listen, they need to do something above and beyond uh, believing in the saving work and, of Jesus Christ alone. They need to be circumcised if, if they're truly going to be saved. That, that's proof. And so we talked through that and, and the Holy Spirit moved. There was prayer. There was scripture right from Amos that they brought in. And, and there was this consensus brought. And it was this beautiful moment at the end of what we talked about last week where it just said that it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. And what they agreed upon was this idea that, listen, we are saved one way, and that's by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace alone, no works of our own. And so it was this this beautiful time of like coming together and, and, and unity. And then on the heels of that, we get this scene. We get this conflict between these two arguably two of the greatest missionaries in Christian history, Barnabas and Paul, right? Like, why wouldn't the enemy sneak in like this? After such a momentous victory for the church and and unity, why wouldn't the enemy sneak in and try to divide? By the way, that's what he does. 
Typically, after these wins, after these moments where we are just like, yes, I feel like we're on the same page. I feel like we're, we're moving forward in faithfulness with the Lord. That is the moment that the enemy goes, ah. That's the moment that we see oftentimes the greatest conflicts where we're going to be at this crossroads. And, and I hope even as Rachel read it to us, that, that the words that she was saying from these scriptures were actually unbelievable to see. That these two men who literally have been, to this point in Acts, kind of the centerpiece of God's missionary journey through all the nations to the ends of the earth, are now at a place where they go, listen, we're going our separate ways. Over a disagreement. Over something that they could not agree on. And we're going to talk about what that was here in a second. But what we need to understand is that oftentimes, the greater the emotional depth, the relational intimacy, no doubt, that Paul and Barnabas shared together, the greater the level of passion and possible hurt in the midst of a disagreement. And chances are, you have probably experienced that as well. The greater the emotional tie, the relational intimacy, the greater the level of passion and possible hurt in the midst of a disagreement. Barnabas. Barnabas was the earliest believer to, to really defend Paul, right? Who was formerly known as Saul, the murderer of Christians. Barnabas stepped up in, in a council again and said, listen, no, this man's conversion, the one who was murdering Christians, is real. Do you remember that scene in Acts that we walked through? These two have literally walked through stonings and, and, and all of these other movements of the Spirit through early Christianity together. And their ministry together ends in an argument. Now, technically, let's be honest. The only thing that happens in this passage that we see, read it, you heard it. The only thing technically we know is that Barnabas and Paul go their separate ways. Luke, the author of Acts, he could have smoothed out this passage for us, couldn't he have? Right? He could have just kind of washed over everything, put a high gloss shine on it, right? That we tend to do as Christians sometimes and go, listen, they split up for ministry purposes to advance the work of the gospel, right? He could have just glossed over this and gone, you know, they just it's kind of gotten a squabble, you know? But no harm, no foul, right? No, he, he like just sets it there for us. Like, that's one of the things I found so interesting about this passage. He, just, he didn't have to include it, but the Spirit saw it fit for him to include it. He just puts it right there for us. To wade through all of these things that, in fact, aren't there. You see, Luke doesn't overindulge the scene. He doesn't make more out of it than it already was. He simply lays out the honest facts, but enough to be unavoidable that Paul and Barnabas split. They split over an argument. What was the argument over? Look at verse 39. It uses an interesting word here. It says, And there arose a sharp disagreement. The, there is one Greek word for those two words that we use in English, sharp disagreement. And it's this idea, if, if you were to look it up, it's this idea of immense irritation and contention. Right? It replaces a Hebrew word which means violent anger or passion. Like, this is not one of those deals where you, you sit down and you have a cup of coffee and you just disagreed on something, okay? Like, and you go, no, this is one of those blow-up moments where things are probably said that you wish wouldn't have been said. This is one of those tense, sharp moments um, where, where, where you kind of go away from each other, and if you bump back into each other, you're like, well, that's going to be awkward, right? Anybody else ever been there? 
Like this was a, a sharp disagreement. I don't want to understate that. In fact, the Greek word, there is actually a medical term that we get from it or we use from it. And in the medical world, this is to be a sudden reoccurrence or attack of a disease where there's convulsions and undertones of passion in a red face. Whoa. Paul? The apostle? You say, well, I kind of get that. Barnabas? The son of encouragement? Yeah. Over what? A third man's reputation. John Mark. Did you hear? Like the disagreement was that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them on the next missionary journey. And Paul says, not a chance. See, John, John Mark, who's known as Mark. You see, Mark had uh, abandoned these guys already. So we didn't spend much time in it, but in Acts chapter 13. And it's just briefly, Luke subtly puts it there about John Mark. And he says that in Pamphylia... John Mark, things got a little tough. And he left Barnabas and Paul and headed back to his home, which is Jerusalem. Now, Mark um, is well known, most likely. He was probably uh, of affluent status in Jerusalem. We see even in earlier uh, accounts and acts that his mother's house is where the early church gathered to pray and to do certain things. Mark, yes, is the same Mark of our uh, oldest gospel, the gospel of Mark, right? It's yes, it's that Mark. We see things in the gospel of Mark, even that he records, because that's from Peter's account, that Mark has a reputation. And, and when he's following Jesus, this is, this is early tradition, but you can read it in the, in the gospel of Mark as well, that there's this man who fled the scene from when Jesus is being taken away by the soldiers. You remember that scene? There's something unique about that scene is that he doesn't have any clothes on, right? It's noted that. That's believed to be Mark, okay? It's because, like, who else would know that detail other than the guy writing the book, right? Like, that was me, right? And so he kind of couched it in there. But what does that tell you about Mark early on in his life, even as a disciple? Fight or flight? He's going flight. Fleeing Jesus. Now, granted, everybody left Jesus, but he left him in a spectacular way. Paul and Barnabas. Things got tough. Acts chapter 13, he left. And so here comes the decision time for Paul and Barnabas. Who are we going to take with us? And Barnabas goes, let's bring Mark. And Paul goes, not a chance. And thus arose a sharp disagreement. But let's ask the real question. Who is right? Paul or Barnabas? Who's the winner? Like, that's what we want to know, right? Like, who won the sharp disagreement, right? Who was right? Was it Barnabas or was it Paul? In light of how this scripture is laid out, here's what I can say with all confidence. Yes. Paul was right. Barnabas was right. Paul was wrong. Barnabas was wrong. How do you like that for an answer? You see, I think Luke writes this and couches this in the book of Acts strategically for us. Strategically for us to wrestle through the dynamics of what's really taking place here. That there are some scriptures that we walk through, many scriptures that we walk through, that there is not just an end conclusion where we go, Oh, 
Well, if you just would have told me, right, X plus Y equals Z, right, then if I just do those things, then that's the outcome, right? If he would have just said, and Paul was right in his conclusion, and Barnabas was right in, in, in receiving John Mark, but he doesn't. Because he wants us to wrestle through it. He wants us to wade through these things together. And one of the things I want to mention very, off the very top is this. That there is no mention, and this is unique in all the chapters that we have studied in Acts. There is no mention of prayer. Except for the little piece there at the end where it says that they, meaning somebody outside of them, commended them to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. No mention of prayer. No mention of the Holy Spirit. No mention of this seems right to us and to the Holy Spirit like Acts chapter 15. It is just two guys whose emotions are, let's be honest, getting the best of them in a sharp disagreement, even as apostles and early church leaders. I don't know about you, but this is kind of encouraging for me as well. But it's something we must wrestle with through nonetheless. And so here's where I want to start. I think it reveals. And, and I saw a, a few things even studying this passage that, that people were trying to like draw out of it, like how to be a good friend. I can kind of see some of these in there, but that's not what this is about, by the way. And we'll get to friendship here in a sec. But I think this reveals something more deeply about us. And the first thing I want to see is that this, what it reveals, is that our strengths inevitably reveal our weaknesses. These are two pillars. These are two apostles. These are two missionaries. These are two guys who love Jesus. However, as, as one person put it, the greater the strength, the longer the shadow it casts. You see, Paul and Barnabas, their conclusions on this matter of taking John Mark are not all that surprising if we know them, right? The conclusions that they each fall to individually that cause the sharp disagreement aren't surprising, right? What were Paul's strengths? What was he driven by? Well, he was driven by, by being a rugged pioneer, venturing into enemy strongholds. Paul's strength was his resolute commitment to follow Christ no matter what the cost and to stand firm in his convictions. Read Galatians 2. Paul is the one who confronts Peter, the leader of the disciples, the original 12, right? The original band of brothers. Paul confronts him about who he's eating with, rightly confronts him in who he's sitting with. He doesn't shy away from conflict. You could beat Paul. You could throw him in prison. You can stone him, as we read in Acts 14. Whatever you could do, you could not stop him from proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified as the only way of salvation, right? This is the guy who says to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? And you just feel his like rawness. That's his strength. And he didn't want someone on his team who would run in the heat of the battle, especially someone who has already proven to do that multiple times over. He needed committed warriors and soldiers who, want to, who would not flinch in the face of hardship or adversity. He knew the road ahead. He knew the road ahead as they took this, this massive win of unity from the Jerusalem Council to these churches. He knew that it was going to be a hard road with maybe death marked at each spot. And he's going, listen, I'm not going to take someone who has flaked out on us already. I get it. You get it? And he wasn't wrong. Barnabas. What was Barnabas' strength? I mean, his name means the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. His strength was his defense of others, giving a second chance, empathy, and justice. 
empathetic kindness. When you see Barnabas, I mean, he was a wealthy businessman who, who get, really left everything to go and disciple uh, Paul and spend time with Paul and establish these early churches. Barnabas was right in that he saw the undeveloped potential in Mark and he wanted to extend God's grace to this young man in spite of his earlier mistakes. History, by the way, proves him right in what happened with Mark later on. Barnabas' greatest strength was his ability, obviously, to encourage the faint-hearted and the weak. He was the champion of the outsider and the fringe person. He knew how to show grace to those who had failed how could Paul refuse Mark? I'm sure Barnabas thought, unless it's, 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 it's not always wise to go back 2,000 years and think about what they were thinking, but this is nothing I haven't read uh, this week anyway on this. But it's probably strange to Barnabas how Paul, of all people, would say that they can't take someone who had failed and messed up. It wouldn't take Barnabas a long jump to look at Paul and go, remember when your name was Saul? Remember when I was the one standing in front of those religious leaders, right? The, those people who wanted to go, listen, we don't, we don't trust him. And go, listen, you trust me? He's a believer. His conversion is true. His conversion is real. And so Barnabas was right. However, as good as those strengths are, they can lead to weaknesses as well. We need to realize this in our lives. We need to realize the uniqueness of how God has wired each one of us. In our personalities that he has given us, in our giftedness, in our strengths, God has given you those as his disciple. God has wired you that way. God has gifted you in the way that he has gifted you. And however, what come with those because of the fall and because of sin are also weaknesses. The greater the strength, the longer the shadow that those cast. Paul's weaknesses, right, are pretty much on the surface. As strong and as committed to Christ as he was, his weakness is an inability to work and accept a weaker man like Mark, who had potential, just wasn't there yet. Paul, in fact, in later scriptures and letters, he will write and show how he overcomes this weakness. Paul lacked empathy. He was overbearing and blunt. Read his letters, right? That's Paul. Barnabas, on the other side, with all his empathy, seems to fall off into people-pleasing. He seems to potentially waffle on some core truths of doctrine in light of this. He erred on the side of showing grace to those who needed to be confronted. Remember Galatians 2 that I just referenced where Paul confronts Peter? In that same chapter, verse 13, look at it. Galatians 2, verse 13. He goes, in this, Peter, your error of not wanting to eat with the Gentiles and only hanging out with, with, with Jews has also led Barnabas astray. It's also led Barnabas astray. That was a weakness. He's carried away by hypocrisy. Offer, offering empathy more than he offered truth oftentimes. So here's what I want you to hear here. On their own, neither one of them have the whole truth. You see that? Neither one of them in this conflict have the whole truth. Most of us, now let's, let's bring it home to us a little bit. Most of us like to think we are right in conflicts. True or false? True, by the way. We t tend to think our personality and our point of view is the right one. Yes. See if this statement doesn't resonate with you. We think... 
that if the rest of the world would just see the world as we see the world, live the way we live, then everything on the planet would operate more smoothly. You laugh because you know it's true. Right? And even some of you here, you're going, but, but Paul is so right in this. Why take John Mark? I failed. Others of you going, Barnabas is the man. Give it a guy a second chance. And turn on. Why? Probably because that's how you're wired. You see, our tendency is to double the importance of what we get right and to be twice as annoyed with what others do when they wrong us and to be 10 times more gracious to ourselves when we mess up. That's how it goes, right? Quickly annoyed, double the importance of what we get right. Proverbs speaks to this all over the place, but I want you to re- read this one. Proverbs eighteen seventeen. The one who states his case first seems right. True? Lay it out there. Yeah, oh yeah. Paul states his case first. You're like, yeah, I get it. Makes sense. He's already abandoned you. However, until others comes in and examines him. You ever had that? Where it's like not until you hear the other side or that point or that, 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 that point of view or that angle is actually evaluated by those outside of you with a little bit more clarity. You see, this is a snapshot. We don't get anything but the facts in this. But what we have to do with the Spirit is kind of peer in and see what's actually taking place in verse 36 through 41 in this conflict, in this sharp disagreement. And it's a clash of personalities and point of views, of strengths and of weaknesses glaring through that causes a split. The split is not a good thing, by the way. You know that, right? Like, we're not championing this, this split, and we'll get to the, how God uses it here in a second. But the second thing I think this reveals is this, is that having the right theology doesn't free us from having to deal with the personality. Paul and Barnabas just finished up the Jerusalem Council where the, the doctrine of being saved by grace through faith alone was handed down, and they were getting ready to take that message to the churches. They would have been part of the same denomination, They agreed theologically more than probably all of us do. However, it was their personalities that clashed over a matter of practical ministry. You see, you can be right and still get the whole conversation wrong. You know that, right? You can know everything about God yet be a very poor representer of him. Friends, we are seeing that all over the place right now. You can be right on something, but yet miss the whole conversation. Be so wrong in the conversation. Be so wrong in the way in which you're going about that right thing. Right? Was Paul right? Sure. Was Barnabas right? Sure. But how they went about the conversation, the whole conversation, was wrong. You see, pride and the clash of personalities have severed far more relationships than doctrinal disputes and heresies. Far more of us know the feelings of our own need to be right and personality getting in the way of healthy relationships than we do about theological issues, right? Yeah. And that is why I'm so thankful that this was included in the book of Acts. Right? Like like friends are going to disappoint you. 
this church, this community, this faith family, hear me very clearly, is going to disappoint you. How couldn't we? Every wedding I do, and I'm doing a wedding this, this evening, I say the same thing. If I did your wedding, you'll remember I said this to you. I remind the couple as they hold hands. Like the person you're looking at, the, the eyes that you're gazing into, right? And you're going, this is a perfect moment, right? This is a perfect day and all these things. I remind them of their brokenness. I remind them that she is going to fail him and he is going to fail her. That you are two sinful, broken people coming into a covenant relationship. Even at the deepest covenant of our lives, marriage. Husbands, you'll still fail your wives. And wives, you will still fail your husbands. And then all of our other relationships the relationships we have here as brothers and sisters in Christ, the relationships you have with friends who are believers, they are still going to disappoint you. But, hear me. God has a pattern for working good in the messiness and brokenness of relationships. That is a biblical pattern from the beginning. We mess it up. We put our fingerprints on it, but God has a way of redeeming it, right? Look at this story in John Stott, a great preacher, great mind um, on the book of Acts. He says this, that God certainly overrode this melancholy disagreement because out of this came two pairs in the spread and the advance of the gospel. No thanks, right, to their disagreement. That's, this is not to justify their disagreement, but God still used this dispute as a way to work the gospel to the ends of the earth. His mission, God's mission, is going to be accomplished. It's similar when Joseph's brothers, right, who sold him into slavery to die, right, come to him now because he's in power. And listen to what Joseph says in, in Genesis chapter 50. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's the pattern. That's the biblical pattern, even in relationships, even in conflict, even as we wade into these waters that are tense and things like that. Listen, what the enemy means for evil, God turns, and maybe even what you mean for evil, God turns and he brings about good for his glory. God is faithful to work through our limiting failures of our own personality. And God so often reconciles what we fail to do on our own. Does that not encourage anybody else? That God is working and moving even though our personalities limit and restrict and sometimes bring up these massive roadblocks for us. These divisions and these conflicts. I'm so thankful that the book of Acts does not present to us, go and do perfectly. Right? Go and do perfectly church planting. Here's how you do it. Acts 2. Go and do perfectly church unity. We saw it all up until this point. This unified church, the Jerusalem council, all these things where they're just going, woo! Back to reality. Back to where many of you and I live day after day. You see, Acts does not present us go and do perfectly. Instead, it positions us to be like this. Be faithful to God. And even when we fail, nothing will stop his kingdom from advancing, even when our own personalities get in the way of what we really believe, God redeems it for good. You see, this is massively encouraging to my heart, knowing my own personality and how often it gets in the way of how God wants to work around me. You see this in Paul and Barnabas later. You see this in Paul's letters as he would pin them to churches. 
You see, I believe for them that this was a moment that they didn't wish to remember. I think it was embarrassing. I think it was petty. I think it was folly. I think it was stupid. But God used it for something far more beautiful than they could ever imagine. You say, Kyle, how, how do you get that? There's letters like 1 Corinthians 9. Paul's writing. And he talks about Barnabas. Any other time that, that Paul talks about Barnabas in his letters, it's in a positive light. In that same chapter, he talks about Mark. Mark in a positive light. Him, him sharing in the labor and the work of the ministry. Look at this in, in 2 Timothy 4.11. By the way, the context of this is when Paul is in prison. He's in prison. Luke alone is with me. <laughs> prison. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Now that seems a little rough. Like, get him. He's useful to me. Maybe he can bust me out of prison. You know, like a tool. No, no, no. It's like this care. It's like this, this, this love. Like, no, I, I want to hear from Mark. I, w- I want to see him because I love him. I want to be encouraged by somebody. And Luke ain't doing the job or whatever. Paul would probably say that. Bring Mark with you. Bring him here to me. Mark proves to be faithful. As I already shared, that his past failures don't shade him and what he does moving forward. And in our first sermon in the Gospel of Mark, when we preached through that Gospel, it was all about this. So if you want to know more and more about John Mark, go listen to that. But he's like a son to Peter. He's faithful for writing the first Gospel record. I wonder how Paul felt. I wonder how Paul felt about this moment of this sharp disagreement. I wonder how often Paul and Barnabas would think back to this moment. You see, I'm not sure, but I know how often... Reconciliation was on the mind of, of Paul as he wrote so often about it in his letters. And he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. After this conflict, by the way. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Their failures, their personalities, their shortcomings, their flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're so familiar with that. But what happens when we apply that to conflicts, Christian conflict? What happens when we apply this idea of reconciliation, what Christ does in those moments that are tense and our personalities clash and our differences are there? All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Bringing two broken things together. That, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's breaking down the gospel in reconciliation. Here's what I think Paul is saying right here. You know 
Christian, how it feels to be reconciled back into a relationship that was broken because that's what you have in the gospel that you received. Someone reconciled you back, and that someone's Jesus, by the way, reconciled you back into something that was once broken, unreconcilable, something that you showed no interest in reconciling until the Holy Spirit drew you and brought you back. In light of Christ, God no longer counts people's sins against them. God doesn't judge you by your shortcomings or your failures. He doesn't identify us, praise God, on our worst moments or by our worst moments of failure. Paul, Barnabas, Mark, you, me. Instead, God steps into our brokenness at his own cost and reconciles us and then entrusts us the same message, one of reconciliation. And that's what he says, go and do likewise. You see, this passage has helped me to see the pointlessness and pettiness to so many conflicts that use up so much energy in my life. Anybody else there? It also reveals my ultimate need and desire to be right. And my ultimate attempt at control. All those idols that I tend to overlook so often, but are really exposed in difficult moments and in relationships, in conflicts and struggles. That oftentimes, listen, this is how God works. The things that annoy us and frustrate us are the areas that God is doing the greatest work in us. True? Think about this. What or who is frustrating and annoying you right now? Not just like in this room, because you'll all point at me because I'm talking, okay? Think about that. Now think about this question this week. Because if you're like, I can't really think of it, it'll happen this week. Right? It'll happen this week. When you find yourself in one of these irreconcilable differences, these conflicts, ask yourself this question. How might God be working this situation right now, right before me, at the workplace, at home, in my marriage, in this relationship, in my praxis group? How might he be working this situation for good? How might this be an unusual opportunity for God to be glorified in the midst of conflict? Listen, God is using the person before you as an instrument in his hands to shape, mold, make you more into the image of his son. God help us, all of us, to sometimes just step back by the grace of God, take a deep breath, and in those moments, recognize our own humanity, frailty, and lack of humility. Um, Michael Key, one of our staff members, uh, every week he he helps me write and he helps me, me study for these messages. Uh, I share that one just so you don't think I write these in a vacuum. Um, but he, he wrote something in the notes as we were studying together and I was going to take it and reword it and call it my own, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share just in close what he said because I think it's spot on. He says, we often don't know how to have disagreements that don't linger that don't leave traces of bitterness. Why? Because we idolize the self. 
To disagree with a person is to question their God, lowercase g, an act of blasphemy. First, we must recognize that we are not God, but rather that we are God's possession. Our goal is not to seek our own glory, but to seek his by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. Second, we are allowed to have strong opinions. He would say that. Michael would say that, actually, um, if you know Michael. <laughs> kidding. We are allowed to have strong opinions and to argue for them strongly. But this is not or should not be perceived as an attack on one's identity. We must not make it personal nor take it personally. But we must pursue always our shared goal. And it's this, making much of Jesus Christ. Every disagreement does not have to be the hill we die on. We must learn to form constructive solutions that do not detract from the mission of God, always with a willing spirit to reconcile. That's how we live as believers. That only comes by the Spirit of God being alive in us and the humility that He brings. So let's pray for that. Father, God, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for how much it's messed me up this week. Um, how much it's just brought to the forefront of my mind and my life uh, all of the areas where I just fall short. Where I perceive things, where I'm right in my own eyes, but yet I have so many blind spots. How quick we often are to point out the speck, the sawdust, but yet miss the plank in our own eye. Father, I pray for us as the Parks Church and for us as hearers of this word. God, that as we have opportunity and as, as you bring relationships into our lives and intimacy and in closeness and proximity that we would be a people who have robust conversation who learn how to handle conflict and personalities well for your glory who learn to press into you and not into others as providing sources of identity and strength and, and, and all those things that only come and ultimately come from Christ alone and so, Lord, I pray from that identity and that strength, we would know how to love and to serve one another well. We would love how to, we would know how to wade into those conversations. We would know how to wade into those relationships that are difficult and even those that are easy that sneak up on us with these conflicts. So, Holy Spirit, here we are as a people submitted to you, asking that you change us and shape us for your glory and for the good of others. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the journey you have in us and you're doing through us so that we might know you. And we might know you truly and fully for who you are. Continue to do that work, I pray, this week as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.